the Pregnancy Without Fear podcast. These podcasts are here to help you minimize your fear of childbirth. Too many women go through pregnancy being worried, anxious, or fearful. Well, I'll be sharing tips with you so you can have the mind of knowing. Did you know that fear is about not knowing? When you know, fear is minimized. It then means you can enjoy your pregnancy looking forward to your childbirth experience. You are listening to Pregnancy Without Fear podcasts with Delia Muhammad. Welcome, thank you so much for being on this podcast, listening to this podcast, watching this podcast. Today we have a wonderful individual that's joining us at Pregnancy Without Fear to share her skill and knowledge and her understanding and her wealthy spirit of guidance to the many, many women around the world, not just in Atlanta, Georgia, but around the world with um, a beautiful organization or corporation, I should say, a non-profit corporation called ROSE, which means reaching out to sisters everywhere. Such a beautiful name. And I feel that it's relevant right now at this particular time. ROSE is an organization corporation that deals with helping breastfeeding mothers. Now, many, many of us since 2019 and going through this COVID situation, we've realized how many of us have needed support and weren't able to get it because possibly of um, illnesses and losses around the world. Now we have organizations such as Rose that can communicate and contact us via online, just like here now on Zoom. We can communicate with each other. Isn't technology wonderful? <laughs> it is. Kimmery is a doctor, not a medical doctor, but she is the, cow, the, the co-founder, president, and CEO of Rose. She is a, a wife. She's a, also a, a mother to five adults. They're yeah, they're big people now. They're no longer babies. They're no longer dependent. But she was a VBAC mother. And my month, this month, I'm actually dealing with VBAC mothers. And it's so beautiful to know that we have a VBAC mother actually here that we are interviewing. And obviously, at some point, we hope that she will share a little bit of her experience with us. Now, Kimmery is... Um, a nurse. She's also a nurse practitioner. I mean, she, there's so many areas, so many strings to her bow that it's, you have, what you have to do is you have to go onto her website. And if I'm correct, it's called breastfeedingrose.org. Am I correct? Yes. Breastfeeding.org, yes. breastfeedingrose.org is her website and you can go there to see the countless um, positions that this beautiful woman of of color has taken and she is still going on regardless and with her children involved 
with what she's doing. And that is another area that I would also like to speak on because that is our ethos, pregnancy without fear. How do we as parents guide our children in a direction that will be profitable, beneficial to them? Thank you, Kimberly, for coming. I'm so happy that you're here. And please, is there anything that you want to add to what I've explained or shared in relation to your introduction? Oh, absolutely not. Um, in, in fact, I'm extremely uncomfortable because I'm like, wow, who is she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> stuff? Uh, thank you so much for being so gracious. Um, oh, and um, I, I am just so thankful for being here. Um, and and um, I just wanted to say that when you reached out to me initially, of course, I said yes immediately because I was just so interested, especially in the name of your um, podcast, which just really intrigued me and the people I work with. Um, thank you for having me. And I just want to say that Reaching Our Sisters Everywhere was started in 2011 to address breastfeeding disparities in the African-American community. Because I've had the opportunity um, in the jobs that I've had over the years as a bedside breastfeeding counselor, as a um, perinatal consultant for the state of Georgia, um, for, as a nurse practitioner, to meet and um, talk to and hold so many women of color who have had so many problems with trying to initiate and start breastfeeding that it was a direction, sort of a natural direction to go with all of those um, positions and things that we've been in. And it was uh, something that no one else was doing. In our community here in the United States, when we were getting started, there was so much negativity about the fact, or even especially in the research, stating that Black women do not breastfeed. And what I used to hear a lot from young uh, women who were pregnant and were having babies is that the healthcare community didn't even talk to them about breastfeeding while they were pregnant. Right. And so then addressing that with physicians and nurses um, asking why, a lot of times they would say, well, we only have such a short time with pregnant women. When they come in for their visit, we see them, you know, 10 minutes. So we have to talk to Black women about hypertension and hemorrhage and all those things. And the research says they don't breastfeed anyway. So that was the position we were hearing so much from the medical community that we felt that we just had to, had to address. Oh, this is so beautiful. And the thing is, even over here, it's the same thing. They say that Black women, you know, we're not really interested in breastfeeding. And so many of us are, and I'm sure you, the dynamics of family is one aspect of it, because you may be dealing with a lot of women who are single mothers, who may have a lot of children, and obviously their time is wrapped around the children, getting them to school and getting them dressed and breaking, making breakfast, but there may not necessarily be a male there to support her. And over here, we have a lot of single mothers. 
but the breastfeeding yeah. issue is is the most poignant part that I really want to focus on with you because mm-hmm. of how we are viewed right right and and you know we've we've looked at challenges and barriers and all of those things but and and what we've come up with is is the the major barrier is the fact that the women that we serve are resource deprived again you don't know what you don't know so if there have been generations removed in our community that had not breastfed because of again we have to name you know that elephant in the room systemic racism and the positions and jobs that they held for example I just turned 65 uh this month and I am a breastfed baby Thank you. Thank you. And and at the time when I was born, um, it was not popular because many of the women in my mother's community uh, were working in what they're calling in this in this telehealth um, COVID era as essential workers. And they were encouraged at that time not to breastfeed. My mother was a nursing assistant who worked for an OB who told her, Treva, you don't need to try to breastfeed. There's this new scientific formula out there now, and you need to come back to work. And so mom was what what she called a closet breastfeeder. She said that she would got to the point where she would breastfeed me and I would go outside and play and then I'd come back in and she'd breastfeed <laughs> me again. So she breastfed for a long time, but very few people um, in her, you know, knew that she was breastfeeding. But I grew up, again, around women who were breastfeeding in the church, who were breastfeeding in our circles when they came to our house. And again, I'm told that that is not the normal. My mom is about 89 years old. And so she did breastfeed. And I grew up seeing that and I have a grandmother who was a lay midwife in Arkansas and I when I was 12 I was able to help her uh she would uh get you know the moms would come over they would squat they would rock they would walk and then they'd have the baby grandma would put the baby to the breast two hours she'd feed the mom two hours later they got up and went home yeah so the reason I am a nurse today is because my grandmother who completed the fifth grade the most brilliant woman I know had 300 deliveries um amazing amazing what they called granny midwife told me I want you to be a real nurse so I took that to heart and 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 the work that she did. And I just have to say, when I went to nursing school and I was in OB nursing and I went to my first delivery and there was all these bells and whistles and chimes and, oh. you know, folks were in stirrups. And I was like, what the heck is this? Yeah. This is not what I knew as, you know, ha- having babies. And yeah. so it really, really threw me. But, you know, I had that legacy of my wonderful, wonderful, brilliant grandmother grandmother to lead me along the way. And I just have to say also is those wonderful things that you said about me in the beginning as far as as career each step that I've gone, I, I was an, did an associate degree, then a bachelor's degree. I grew up pretty poor. And then, you know, I did a, 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 the doctoral degree, but there were reasons and things that pushed me forward that right. was led specifically by my community and what they needed. When I had my master's degree in public health and things were going really great and we were doing this work all over the country and, you know, in several other countries. And I was in a room with 
with some decision makers and one of the vice presidents from this, you know, huge foundation said, wow, you are really good. You're really, you know, pretty um, smart with, you know, the, the things that you're telling us about and you've told us and you don't even have a terminate, terminal degree. So I'll have to say that I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> You know, again, <laughs> everyone in the room was like, wow, we didn't know that. And, you know, and asked a, a million questions. And I know I know what I know. Yeah. And then I had to go and ask some people, what is that? And they told me that's the D, you know, the PhD, the MD, the JD. And so at that time, I had no intention of doing that. But if that's what it took to get yes. to that table, to have a voice for the community that I serve, I went back to school, you know, and 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 finished like in 2018. Right. So again, it, it's about, you know, we have to run faster and jump mm -hmm. higher and, you know, do things two and three times better in order to even get to the room. And, you know, one of my, my, my favorite sheroes said one time that, you know, if, if there's not a seat at the table, then just bring a folding chair and pull up there anyway. <laughs> And so that's what I've tried to do. Um, um, Shirley Chisholm, you know, said that that's one of the things I've tried to do um, is just bring my own folding chair and get in those rooms so that, again, Black maternal morbidity and mortality yes. can be changed. Yes. Black breastfeeding can be changed. When I got into breastfeeding, um, I... I Again, we got this small grant at the hospital I was to be, do a, what they called a bedside breastfeeding counselor. This was in 1986. There were special what, what grants. What does that mean? That. Why, when you say bedside breastfeeding, why bedside? So, so right now it is a lactation consultant. Right. You know, there are the lactation consultants in the hospitals. Yes. So then there were none here in this country. Oh. And so in 1986, I didn't want and I and, and it was just coming to fruition. But I did not want the community I served to be confused at what I did. So I was able to name my position and I named it a bedside breastfeeding counselor. Right. And I went around to the rooms. We were had about 8,000 deliveries. But when we started that, we had to get um, an idea of where we were starting. So went around and did some statistics and about 9% of the women who were leaving that hospital were breastfeeding. And so what we did was we started going around saying, you know, talking to moms and saying, and, and I would just say, so, you know, tell me how you're going to breastfeed your baby. And they were like, well, I don't know. How am I going to breastfeed my baby? And I'd help them connect their baby. Oh. So what we found is that in three months at that hospital, breastfeeding rates were 26%. Because in the pro the, 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 problem was that no one asked them no one addressed it no one said they could so and they just so had their baby just, they just they had, had baby. their babies and they were given formula wow. formula artificial breast milk was pushed into the room in those little bassinets and so they assumed that the healthcare community wanted them to do that and that's what they did and and so as we did this you know 8 months later breastfeeding rates in our hospital were 50% uh -huh. and it continued to go up and we're at an indigent care sort of hospital in a large urban area and so folks from around the country were looking at us and said what the heck are y'all doing and what we did was something that 
you know, that they're talking about now, they have all these uh, modules and research that they talk about respectful care now. And, you know, that's not the terminology that we had and we used at that time, but that's what it was. It was respectful care. And that's what I said, that our moms were what we call resource deprived. I had 13-year-old, 14-year-old um, young women who, adolescents who were having babies who were phenomenal breastfeeders because, you know, they, they loved their babies. They wanted yes. to do what was best for their babies. Yes. And someone helped them to be able to do that by giving them the knowledge and the skills to do that. With so a mother's wisdom at that time. Yeah. With their yeah. mother's And we got thinking. to... Well, their mothers were with them, too, and a, a majority of their mothers, who may have been, you know, 35, 40 themselves, yeah. also had not breastfed because no one had told them that they could. And so, yeah, you know, it's about providing the resources. The messenger does um, make a difference also. Um, and then the, the right message. One time a young lady told me, well, I can't do that because I have to ride the bus. And I was very confused. And so, you know, of course I asked her, so can you tell me more? Mm. And so she had just, she was a young pregnant um, woman. And so she had just came from uh, her prenatal visit and and they had given her some breastfeeding uh, pamphlets. And on the cover of a breastfeeding pamphlets were, you know, some blonde, blue-eyed women who were sitting with, you know, nightgowns on, but with, you know, their breasts completely out with the baby connected to their breasts. So her thought process was, since I have to ride the bus, I can't get naked like this on the bus, (laughs) so I can't do that. And so that's when we threw out all of those brochures and made our own. Yes, We made our own. And this was in, you know, 1988, 1989, um, to, to, to have women of color and also showing that you don't have to be exposed to breastfeed your baby. Yes. Yes. It's funny because when you, you, we don't look at this in the way there's a, there is a totally different view, connection, understanding when it comes to women of color and motherhood, women of color with their babies. Absolutely. I've, I've been doing this a long time and I've looked at the difference and there is a great difference when it comes to how we connect with our baby for feeding to when someone else does. I mean, and there are some cultural aspects of yeah. everything that we do. Yeah. And again, our culture is about relationship. And that's sort of where we've come from, again, especially in the United States where we were enslaved just a few hundred years ago. You know, we didn't have a whole lot, but we did have those relationships. And as we went through Jim Crow and segregation and all of those things, you know, at that time, the black church was our mecca sort of. And so you could go to church and you didn't know if the lady sitting or man sitting next to you was a housekeeper or a janitor or a lawyer or a teacher or 
or a position because everyone um, was just in this one relationship, you know, in, in that faith and we weren't divided and demeaned and all of those things and and for us it's always been about building that trust relationship and you always have you already have a bit of trust when you meet someone because you feel like you have some shared experiences you know one of the things that I used to say when we were first getting started, just to help folks to understand, I would say, for example, Black people do the electric slide at funerals and at weddings. <laughs> and everybody would do just like that because they know, like, that's culturally, you know, even, you know, if you're a PhD or, you know, if you are a, a janitor, you know, you're familiar yes. with the fact that at our funerals and our weddings, you know, we call it homegoing celebrations, and nice. and we we do the electric slide. Now they got new line dances <laughs> that young people do, but they knew what I meant. <laughs> no, I think it's amazing. Your children, are they? I I read that your children involved in your work. It's, yes, it's they, and they they always have been. Oh. I. I When I first graduated from nursing school um, uh, in 1978, I became an MAMA, an RN, and a um, MRS all that same year. I won't say what order. But at that time, I was away from my um, family in Indiana. I had gone to Texas to go to school. And when I had my children, I struggled. First of all, I found out 11 days before they were born, there were two of them. You know, back in those days, they didn't have all these wonderful ultrasounds and stuff that they do. And so they found out 11 days before they were two. So I... No, no, they found felt one big head up high, no. one big head down low. And I I had said for many, many months that, you know, something's wrong with this baby because <laughs> this baby moved 24 hours a day. And so my doctor at that time said, you know, and I was a nursing student and I was, yeah. gave him, every, I mean, I gave tons of questions all the time. And he basically said, look, I'm the doctor. You're not even a nurse yet. You're okay. You know, and so then they found the two. And I felt terrible. I felt like I failed those girls because, again, I was in a town without family. My mom came for about three weeks. Um, She tried to help me, but she never had two babies. And all she saw was her baby was struggling, trying to feed these babies. And she actually went out and purchased formula because she felt that she was helping her baby. Um, I called La Leche League here in the United States. Um, Again, this is 1978. And in those times, you had a phone number that indicated exactly where you lived. Mm -hmm. So if you, for example, you know, if your number started with 404, you could um, know what street that was on. And so, of course, I lived in the neighborhood where people like me lived across, you know, those tracks. And I never got a call back from my And so I just really, really struggled. And I did what I call token breastfeeding at that time. And so I felt so guilty. And again, I told you, I also became a nurse and I was already working in patient pediatrics. So 
I started trying to learn more about breastfeeding at that time because of my struggles. But I also said that I didn't want the women who I worked with that whose children were on the pediatric areas at the hospital to be as miserable as I was. Oh. So that's what sparked my, that was my trauma that, that um, made me go and learn more um, about breastfeeding yes. academically so that I could help other women. My word, you just, you know, you just said the Lesh League and then you said the 19, 1978. So when, when would you say you actually started your corporation? What, I mean, you, you say 2011, but I think it was way before then, isn't it? So, yeah, so officially the nonprofit, uh, it was 2011, but what, I became known as the breath nurse in most of the places I work because, again, because of my um, feel, feeling of failure at breastfeeding my own children, I, I, I really learned more and read more and became very active and, and helped lots of other people with breastfeeding and the people around me did the same thing. Okay. My particular family, my cousins, mm -hmm. my sister, my close friends learned with me because they had to. Um, for example, all of, you know, my nieces and uh, were, were breastfed their children. All of the, my cousins did because I was so animate and, and portraying the importance and the benefits and all of those things to them and so again around me everyone was breastfeeding and that sort of became what I expected so when I went to the hospital I told you about and I was having so many problems with especially the physicians who again were majority white in this majority urban metropolitan hospital where 85, 90% of the mothers who were delivering there were black. Yes. Um, another 6% were um, Hispanic or Latinx. And then, you know, the 4% were other. Um, I was just animate about what I was doing. And I was fortunate enough to be so passionate about it that the people that I met sort of came on board and so one of my major allies at that point was the chief neonatologist at the hospital. And so I would go to him and say, Dr. Brand, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. I need you to help me. Yeah. What can you do to help me? And he was really, really surprised. And, you know, I learned some other things about him later that helped to understand his passion, too. Mm -hmm. But what he did for me that just changed everything is he told the physicians, the residents, the interns, the medical students that no longer did I have to explain to them why a mother could continue to breastfeed. They had to explain to me why she couldn't. So if what was happening is they would put a mom on an antibiotic and tell her she can't breastfeed. Just really ridiculous things. But again, this was early 80s, yes. 1985 or so, and in a majority black hospital. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so again, you know, um, since they had to change the way they they operated, so they couldn't just knee jerk and say no, you can't 
breastfeed because of oh, your baby has a little jaundice, so you can't breastfeed. They had to explain to me, well, the numbers are this, this, and this. And most of the time, that helped them to see that the hospital across town, where they also practice at, where a majority of the women who deliver right. at that hospital are white. They don't take them off of breastfeeding because the baby's uh, glu- uh, glucose level uh, yes. is, you know, uh, this, or the baby's jaundice number is this. You know, they wait and see and let them continue to breastfeed. Wow. So that had to start happening at our hospital because they had to explain to me because their boss said, not because I said they would pay no attention to me, because their boss said, you have to explain to her why you're stopping. Why, yes. So getting those allies on board made a big difference. My word. And how do the young girls, the the teenage mothers, how do they respond to you? So, you know, I have not done a lot of direct services in a while. If we move on up now to where we are in 2011, what we do a lot of at Rose, and like I said, there are 13. We have 13 employees that are absolutely phenomenal. I definitely could not do this work without our program director, our development director, all of the the engagement um, director, all these wonderful people who just love their work and are phenomenal. And where we are now is in a space of, uh, we built Rose up working with specifically with peers, with uh, partners, with programs, and with policy. Those are where our four pillars that we built on, making sure that there were peers in the community, folks who live next door to people who could help them with common breastfeeding problems. And we call those folks Rose Community Transformers. Okay. We and then we built robe reaching our brothers everywhere yes. for those partners and they are in they're they're one of the very few fatherhood organizations that are in the maternal child health space and they're really doing some phenomenal work and I'd love for you to have a conversation with them they'd love to talk yes. to you then we worked on affecting policy so we made sure that we were part of like the United States Breastfeeding Committee which affects policy all over the country and we work very closely with the Academy of Pediatrics and um, uh, um, breastfeeding medicine um, and with, you know, the, the ACOG, the OB, National Medical Association. We've got on board there and made sure that, and that's the Black position, to make yes. sure that at their um, conferences and things that we have some breastfeeding information. We work very closely with the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative all over the country training nurses and also preparing the community for what to expect when you go into a baby-friendly hospital. Um, and that wasn't easy. We One of the biggest barriers to baby-friendly was that the physicians who used to go to the nurseries and do 25 physicals at once, they had to do the physicals in the baby's room. And we used to hear all the time that that was just ridiculous, that, you know, the, the television was on, the mom had company, all of these excuses. And that was a huge barrier. And then we had to help them to understand that there is never a time when you are examining a pediatric patient and the parent is not in the room. You know, I work 
um, pediatrics for years as yeah. a nurse practitioner. And never do you say, well, parent, leave the room Le- so I can it? check your child. <laughs> and so, you know, it was one of those light bulb moments <laughs> for a lot of the pediatricians. Wow. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. But um, so we work with baby friendly. So the programs, the policies, the partners, and the peers, we built on, built on, built on over the years. And so we've been able to really get into those rooms and get into those communities and really spread the information. So right now, breastfeeding initiation rates for the African-American community is about 75% mm. in the United States. And that is, you know, from where we came from, you know, when we were just first looking yeah. at statistics in the early 80s, we have come a heck of a, a long way. We still have tons of problems with sustainability and exclusivity. And again, systemic racism comes back into the room when you look at those. But those are the things that we are going forward with in the future. And we're working specifically with partnerships building partners, doing mentorship, mentoring other organizations. And that came to mind when you talked about the teens. So we have this program that we call the VIP, um, Villages Innovating uh, Perinatal Services, where we have worked with community-based organizations throughout the country in all 10 of the public health districts in this country that are doing phenomenal work. And some of them work specifically with pregnant teens. There is an organization in um, Detroit, Michigan called Mommy and Me. Uh, Oh, Mommy's in the D. Um, And she is doing a phenomenal job with teen mothers. And there's several others that we work with. So our job is to build network so that when someone calls us and says, "Um, so we're having this issue or concern with breastfeeding in Minnesota, can you come and address that? I can say, so-and-so and so-and-so is in Minnesota. Their organization does this. You don't need us to come from Atlanta, Georgia, build this partnership with this organization that is right there with you. They know the community, they know the state, they know the culture. Mm. So that's one of the things we are able to do. Now, we love to travel and we love to go, but we want to build those networks in order to make it sustainable. We're working truly on sustainability right now. And so in our VIPs, we had about 65 organizations that we were able to fund with HRSA funds through a grant that we had with um, University of uh, North Carolina Chapel And we gave those organizations funds to work on telehealth during COVID, and they did some phenomenal work. And so we actually did some podcasts with about 14 of those organizations that are is on our channel. But, I mean, just heartwarming um, things that these folks were able to do to keep services um, going through telehealth. And we were able to buy hot spots, to buy blood pressure cuffs, to... Wow. Um, purchase breast pump to do all those things with them and for them so that they could continue to serve the community so the only way we can do this is to you know not let it be us 
Yes. We've got to, yes. you know, they say knowledge is power, but only if it's shared. Yes. And so we do everything we can to build those communities that so that, you know, the work can be sustainable. I could listen to you all day. Seriously, there's so much to learn because we think we know everything, but there's always something to learn. And I, and I think when we're humble, we are able to then open up to finding and listening and searching and asking. And, and I feel that what you're doing is so, so important, especially for our young girls because of, you know, I'm sure you must meet a lot of young girls who accidentally, you know, and they just said, nope, I'm, I'm, I wanna be a mother. And then they're having to struggle and to find someone like yourself and your team to be able to support them, educate them, guide them, inform them. It, to me, I, I just love it. I absolutely love Thank it. You. And it is definitely our pleasure. You know, we 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 serve at the pleasure of our community. Yes. Because again, we, we love our community. Yeah. Um, and, I, and and I have to be completely transparent. For me, it is definitely all about the babies. Um, you know, I used to say a long time ago that I, I worked with and, and, and dealt with mothers because they came with my babies. Of course. And I am an old nursery nurse. And, You're not and, old. And You're was, not old. <laughs> well, I was in 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 that space where I loved having those 20 babies in the nursery yeah. with me. You know, we could love them and comb their hair Isn't and did it? all this. And, and so it was hard, too, for me to transition to the, you know, every mom gets their own baby. Yeah. So, but I, and, and then after we did that, it, of course, it, that was the biological way to go. Mm. Of course, I understood it, but, you know, it, it is all about the, the nurturing and, and nourishing those, yes. the, the, those that are coming behind us to uh, make sure that they have what it is they need. And it is a pleasure. And, and, you know, Again, for so many years, we did this work and with no uh, reimbursement at mm-hmm. all. Um, my husband can tell you the many nights that there were um, women in their significant and others coming to my house at one and two o'clock in the morning in tears with hot swollen breasts and my husband would let them in and you know lock the doors and go to bed um two or three o'clock in the morning these calls were again there was no compensation but during those times I have to say those are the exact times that I got to we, uh, we, I have to say we, because again, at that time, there were so many, my sister and, and friends that were helping, got to meet so many of the icons in the, especially Atlanta area that were part of the civil rights community when they were having their babies and when they were, ha- their children were having babies and they were having all these problems with breastfeeding. We were the very few women of color in the area to call. And so we were exposed to so many wonderful icons at that time, which helped again to propel the work because they were so helpful. My my favorite surgeon general, um, Dr. David Thatcher, has been an amazing mentor and has helped us in so many ways to carry the work forward. So it's been a journey. It's been amazing. 
And how are you internationally? What is it like for you internationally? Or are you so, just national? So we have done some work internationally, especially um, in, in the islands. We um, in, did some work when the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative was really being rolled out. Uh, we actually, I was able to go to the Philippines and look at the very first Baby Friendly Hospital and do some training there. And then we were able to go to Barbados where oh. we did training for, um, there were about, I think about 18, well, there were about 35 people there, but they were from like 18 of the islands around there. And so we were there with them for about three weeks doing training. And I mean, that was one of my most memorable, wonderful times. And it didn't start out real nice because, you know, I was the only uh, woman of color as the nurse that went on this with UNICEF and, and who to do this, okay. um, all healthcare providers. But when we went and I looked at all these beautiful black women, I'm like, this is just heaven. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. And then they looked at me and they said, what can you, an American, teach us? Oh. And I was like, oh, my yeah. goodness. And it, it really hurt my feelings. But then at the end of those three weeks yes they did I mean we we bonded we did you know yes. they, they had to yes. love me like I loved them because I just gave them nothing but love but we knew what we were doing and the training was phenomenal and they did an amazing roast of us and especially me and with my southern accent and okay. we have stayed <laughs> in touch with the majority of them, I mean, I have sent their their children um, gifts when they were having babies, and I've sent baby dolls over there and jeans, and we, uh, you know, we have stayed in touch all of this time. In fact, um, just this past June, I went and back and visited Barbados in the hospital was in the university where we did the training. But, you know, it was really, really, it helped me to understand too that, you know, the diaspora is yeah. different. Yeah. It truly is. And, you know, it we is. have to respect that because you don't know what you don't know. It and isn't. traveling really opens you up to, you know, the possibility. You can't be racist and narrow-minded when you travel and see all the beauty that is out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's so that I think what you've just said there really does secure and seal the connections and networking. You've got there's so much out there, you know, and so many view. It's so funny because I was speaking to a midwife just um, two days ago on LinkedIn, funny enough, and she was talking about how. Um, the the research and midwifery is really small you know um I'm I'm a qualified midwife she's a qualified and we're both retired but at the same time the research on midwifery on the history of midwives it's not there Mm. it really isn't there and it's only now I'm actually getting to hear about the history of midwives in the U.S. You would hear about granny yeah. midwives, but that was it. It wasn't, there wasn't any rooting to it, you know? But now you're getting to hear, just like yourself, your grandmother, your mother, you know? And, and it, it gives right. a totally different perspective. It really does. 
Yeah, it absolutely does. And again, you know, you're just, it, it, you're saying so much because again, it was that history that they had hidden. They did not care pretty much about how black women were having babies. Uh, and and we were having babies and, 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 and maternal morbidity was a lot less. <laughs> maternal mortality was a lot less because again, those, those midwives, those community midwives, they cared and they would, you know, um, See about and 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 make sure that they had ways to treat certain things and yes. and, and then it, when it became all about the dollar and you know you can make money by bringing folks into these hospitals to have the babies um, you know it, that didn't make them care anymore about no. those black bodies no. it's no. just that it was just about that dollar uh, I, I'm. I'm, I would love to come over one day and just see how you work because, I mean, breastfeeding is definitely an area that I touch on because I'm actually going to be starting and doing a breastfeeding workshop because so many of our Black young girls over here, breastfeeding is not really something they want to do. They don't even want to labour. They would rather go into theatre and have cesarean section than go through the labour. And these are the things that we have to try and instill, get the information to instill so they can see it from a different perspective and then be able to value it. Because right now it's not valued. Yes. Again, and I, I just feel like they don't have the information. Uh, they, they don't know that yeah. that is major surgery yeah. that will affect you long term. It's for life. And, and but 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 you know, again, it's it's like they're just not seeing that. And it's so many women used to come and say to us that, you know, they wanted to have the baby again by cesarean section so that they can be back in shape to, yeah. you know, go to yeah. the beach or something in yeah. a month or something after that. And yeah. so it's just for folks to have the, and, and what we had to do over here was to change policies to, you know, they had all these campaigns about 39 weeks where, you know, it, why it was so important to get to 39 weeks um, before you have those babies. And, and, and you know, again, ACOG now is doing what they call respectful care modules um, to, to sort of combat the, 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 you know, near myth is what they call them, um, things that, that so many Black women are having that, that people are just ignoring because they don't listen to Black women. Yeah. You know, when they're saying, you know, I'm having this headache, I'm bleeding a lot, you know, what's going on? And they just don't listen to them, so. And, you're and I wanted to mention just, just briefly, um, we talked about my uh, VBAC. Um, I had some infertility problems for many years, right. uh, several years after I had my first set of twins. So um, many, many years later, with some um, help from the, uh, infer the infertility specialist, I had a second set of twins. So after that, I was pretty much done because I'd had all that infertility problems and everything. And then lo and behold, um, about five, six years after um, my second set of twins, I, at 40 years old, uh, was pregnant. <laughs> and so I, my, my second set of twins were C-section um, because, you know, hold, there was some hold, hold on a moment. You've got two sets of twins. 
Yes, I, I, I had twins in, in 78, no. and then I had twins in, in 91. Wow. And then um, then uh, January of 91, and then um, in 95, I, beca- I got pregnant spontaneously again. So my, my second set of twins were, were C-section. There was a lot of stuff going on, and it was an emergency C-section. Um, and so... Um, I was told, you know, when I was 40 and, and was pregnant that, you know, you'd have to have a C-section. And I'm like, come on now, you know, who, who, who are you talking to here? <laughs> and so I chose to have a VBAC. So I labored for 26 hours and the doctor kept coming in. Are you ready for your C-section now? Are you ready? Are you ready for your C-section wow. now? And I was like, no. And so I was uh, labored for 26 hours, and he finally came. And absolutely, you know, it was a long labor, yes. but I, it was, it was well, worth it. well worth it. Yes. And there was no reason. And if, if I had been anyone else, because, again, you know, if I didn't know what I know with, with them, you know, continuously saying, let's do this, let's do this, let's do yes. this section. I really, you know, would have known I would have caved in and done that. My and it was word. a wonderful experience. Oh, and the thing is, it still continues today. Women who have had a cesarean who want a vaginal birth are being told, oh, um, you you only have a 60% chance. You only have, and I'm thinking, where are you getting this percentage from? It doesn't make sense, you know? And right. some women are even being told, if you're not dilating in your pregnancy, you're not going to be able to go into labor. So we might as well book wow. your, re- your re- repeat section now. Yeah, this is today. So, you know, what you just said to me, and that was how many years ago? And we're still going through that today. There are some hospitals around the world that do not allow women to have a vaginal birth after cesarean. They don't, they're not. Some women have had three, four, wow. five cesareans because they were told that it's totally impossible to have a vaginal birth. And they've gone with it because as far as they're concerned, yeah, my body's dysfunctional. So how can I have a vaginal birth? You know, so right, right. yeah, so that's they that trust the healthcare provider. That's why it's just so important to find healthcare providers who, um, you know, care. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and who support you and not tolerate you because a lot of them will do what they call as a, a bait and switch. They draw you in, and then all of a sudden they switch. And, oh, no, you can't, you can't do this, you can't do that. And then the poor woman is in absolute stress. The amount of women that have cried, you know, that I'm hearing the crying, crying, oh, he won't let me do this, or they said I can't do that. And and I and I have to, a lot of the times, you're also ending up being a counsellor. You're not just, you know, telling them, yes. showing them how to breastfeed, you're actually listening to what's happening in their home, what's happening with them. Oh, absolutely. On through. Right. It, it's holistic. You know, when, when I go to, a, to someone's home, you know, I may have to take grandma's blood pressure. And right. I may have to look at, at Uncle Joe's gangrene toe. Oh, you no. know, I definitely do all of those <laughs> things. 
for sure. Again, it's about the relationship. Yeah, it's about the you know it, 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 you when you come into the home, we're used to as 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 you know black people yeah. um, having the relationship with the family, yes. and then that also helped the family to be more respectful of this yes. young mother who has chosen to breastfeed her baby because they just feel like it is such a burden. You have so many problems, and yes. you know yes. already Why you know, maybe yeah. maybe it'll be easier if you just give them you know this artificial breast and so just to help them to understand how important it really is isn't it oh i'm i i have to say that we have to close at some point and it's got to be now but i have enjoyed speaking with you i could sit down and listen to you for a very long time (laughs) It wouldn't bother me if oh, you could sit down you. for days. Seriously. And I truly appreciate listening you know, to you too. Because it's some, um, you know, I, I I think your way of sharing helps to calm the spirit. Because I'm sure there are lots of women, as you said, knock, knocking on your door at two, two, three o'clock in the morning in total distress, knowing that you're the one that can actually help in getting them back. The door will be open for sure. Oh, that's open lovely. And, I, and, you know, one of, one of our models, one of, and I'm not sure where it came from, who said it first, but we're the ones we've been waiting for. You know, we can't expect anyone else to do this for yes. us. We are the ones. Yes. One of the things that we just started also was the Queen Circle, which is for grandparents. Is mm-hmm. you know, we says for the grandmother because so many grandmothers feel guilty that they were not able to have the experience of breastfeeding yes. because they were told, you know, that you can't do that. Do you got to, you know, clean someone else's house or whatever. And so to help them to heal so that they can help their daughters. So our queen circle has kicked off and we just love it. Oh, and I can I can imagine how many attend that circle. I really can imagine because there's so many grandmothers out there. So many. And yeah, so many carry guilt, regret, you know, and are traumatized as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a shame. But you know what? Hey, no, Rose is here now. Rose and Rogue. I'm so, I I do love those names. I really do love those names. They're beautiful. And pregnancy without fear, it's like I was saying earlier on, it really is just about helping pregnant ones to minimize their fear, even though we know it's not without, because every woman who goes into labor has that element of fear. But if we can minimize it, then as far as we're concerned, you're going through your labor to give birth without fear. And it's through information, good support, you know, and continuous care and support. It's not once in a while. No, it's whenever, wherever you are, you want something, we're here. And I make sure that if I can't, if I don't have the answer, I will find someone who does have the answer because that that's what the networking is all about. It's not about you being an island all by yourself, still trying to struggle and do things. No, it's connecting with everyone else so that if you don't have it, the keys, someone else has the keys to open the door for that person. 
and I think it's beautiful, Rose. Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm, I said I'm going to read your website again. I have to look. I I was able to browse okay. over it, but I said I have to go through it again and listen, and also um, not listen to read it, but also Rose as well. I want to get well, into you. that. One of the things we, we, we tell our young moms all the time is you don't have to start out an expert. You just have to start. Take that first step. Oh, thank you so much, Marie. Thank, thank you, you so much. I really, seriously, I really, really appreciate your time. It sounds so valuable. I, this is a special podcast for me. It is. It is oh, and it's special for me, too. And this is not it for us, because I am going to really, really work on getting you over here for our summit. Oh, lovely. It's going to be know. in New Orleans in, in, in August during uh, Black Breastfeeding Week. Oh. And I am going to work on getting you over here. Oh, I was able to go to Manchester, uh, I guess, two years ago okay. for the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicines Conference oh. and um, had a great time at a couple of the pubs and things, but I didn't get to see much. So okay. we are going to, we are connected now. You are my sister and I'm, we oh. are going to spend time together to continue to level up and, and, um, be available to to those coming behind us. Thank Lovely. you for having oh, me. Oh, no problem, Kimberly. Thank you so much, and please send my greetings to your family as well as your massive team of experts you. around you. All right, and take care. Right. And hopefully, I'd love to do another one with you um, in the coming. Absolutely, future. anytime. Yeah, no problem. Take Thank care. You. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. listening to Pregnancy Without Fear podcast with me, Delia Muhammad. If you want more information from today's episode, you can find our show notes page at www.pregnancywithoutfear.com. Your vote of confidence and support means the world to me. Thanks so much for listening.